Smile. Hey, everyone. Welcome to New Business. I'm your host, Jill Thomas. And this show is about helping business owners create success faster and more easily than they thought possible. And this week, I'm so excited. The guest is Lisa Benson. I know she doesn't consider herself this, but I kind of consider her a celebrity because uh, her mother started a business that's very successful called Leeds Club. And she started it in a time, 1978, when I'm assuming there weren't a lot of women business owners in her you know, Lisa later joined the business and they became partners and it became huge success. So I wanted to talk to her. So excited to talk to her because this is a big business that a lot of people listening have had some kind of interaction with. Welcome, Lisa. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to have you. So you guys, when your mother started this business in 1978, was, was this the first one of these type of, of business networking groups where it was, you know, one person in one category? It was because in those days, uh, women were Way not back wrong- when. <laughs> I know, I know. Women weren't welcomed in Rotary and Kiwanis, and there was no place for a woman to go network her business. So she um, drew on her years of experience um, as an educator and created the really powerful, simple system we still use today. I'm actually really surprised. I didn't realize that women weren't allowed in Kiwanis and Rotary back then. I don't think we're not talking about that long ago. No, no, (laughs) it's pretty amazing. So she saw a need and she filled it. I love that. Do do you think, I mean, sometimes people fill a need and and see something, they just get mad and then they want to fix this injustice. Was this part of it for her? Oh yeah. She was, she was a feminist in a really positive way. No doubt. I mean, when you grew up in those times, you know, you kind of had no choice if you wanted equality, <laughs> which we that. still don't have, but that's okay. That's another discussion. Yeah, right. We can pretend that everything's fine. I was watching, I love the show Mad Men. I don't know if anybody watching has watched the show, but I'm watching it and I'm thinking, oh yeah, we've really come a long way. And I'm like, no, we really haven't. This is kind of the stuff is still happening. We're just hiding it better. I mean, yeah, yep. So that's why we have so many female entrepreneurs because the the pay gap is still there. Fortunately, it's not as large as it used to be, but you know, that's why a lot of women start their own businesses. I, I would I would say that that's probably true. I hadn't thought about it like in those terms that that's why women start businesses, but they make sense, right? And when you own your business, you're the only one who's you're the one who sets the price, right? I say who, I say when, I say how much. Not to quote Pretty Women, but I love that line. I love that line from that movie. Um, so your mother started this in 78. Did she have to get a loan for this business? Because I know from what my what, uh, the other people have told me is that it was harder back then for a woman to get a business loan. Oh, no, she didn't get a loan. I don't think she could have um, because she and my father had just gone through a divorce and he was an excellent attorney. So she pretty much was left in the dust with my youngest three siblings still at home. Oh, my God. So, she just kind of, she was a child of the depression, if you've heard that term. So she n- knew how to be frugal and get stuff done, which was great training. You know, that that kind of reminds me, I, I was thinking about like my, you know, my grandmother and my mother's generation. I heard a lot about how difficult it was, but I didn't hear a ton of complaining. Like we, in this generation, you know, somebody slights us at the grocery store and we lose our little shiz over that. But I, when I'm hearing your, your mom's case, she, she didn't get mad, she got even. 
Yeah, you know what? Because she really did start quite a dynamic business on a shoestring. And, and, you know, like, I know you were going to maybe ask me a little later, but this is like the perfect segue. And, you know, you said, what, what, what problem did Leeds Club solve? And small businesses often don't have any budget at all, much less even know that they should have a marketing budget. So that to me, my mother remembered her roots and always till the day she died in 1999. And then I upheld her promise to keep Leeds Club affordable for small businesses and entrepreneurs. So I'm pretty proud of that. <laughs> When she started it, I'm assuming this was not just a women's business because you you mentioned that women weren't allowed in Kiwanis and the and the Rotary. I'm assuming that when she started this, this was both men and women. Nope, from '78 to '83, we were women only. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. that's interesting. And what made her? What prompted the change? Men came to us and said they wanted it. Okay, I mean, sure. yeah. Okay. It makes sense. It does make sense. I like it. Do you have any sense of how many, what percentage, you probably don't, but I just ask anyway, since we're on the topic, what percentage of entrepreneurs within Leeds Club, when you left a few years ago, were women versus men? It was probably closer to 50-50 then, just ballpark. I mean, when, but for the longest time, it was definitely 75% women and 25% men. But over the decades, it kind of evened out. That's pretty remarkable considering that I think, I think last time I checked and it's been a while, it was like 35, 65 female business owners to men business owners. Oh, in business overall. Yeah. And I think the, I think a majority of the, I may have those numbers wrong. So, you know, don't like use that number in a paper, please like Google it first. But (laughs) I seem to recall that also a big chunk of the 35% is because in some States there's an advantage if it's a minority owned business. So women are listed as the minority. Right. And when, when really it's, you know, maybe the husband's business. Right. (laughs) Those sneaky people. Yeah. I mean, if, if somebody's going to give you free money to put your name on it instead of your partner's name, I I mean, I would do it too. So there's no question. (laughs) Right. There was something I really wanted to share with you or wanted to talk about it because, you know, you created this little, this business, which basically you have the home office and then there's little chapters, right? Or tell me the business model, explain it to you in your words rather than mine. Well, so once we um, broke into other countries, we started calling ourselves the international headquarters versus home office. And then, you know, something that simple, a choice that simple really has big implications. I mean, I really thought to be more professional, we should do the international headquarters, but Ali mom thought, no, we want to be approachable. We want people to feel welcome. We should call it the home office. Anyway, I digress, but even just simple questions like that, you know, you get to talk about, um, uh, let's see. So, Ask me the question. Oh, sorry. Again. Yeah. Tell me about the, off the, on a tangent. <laughs> yeah, no, I love tangents. I love tangents. Tangents are fun. So tell me a little bit about the arrangement. Oh. There's a home office and then there's little okay, chapters. Right. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. And, and depending on the size of the region, we may have a regional director. And for example, in Australia, Ireland, Peru, we had national directors, someone on site that handled a lot of the things we did, but in many parts of the country, we would uh, pay support people called chapter consultants that would visit each chapter once a month. So basically the home office, and then depending on the size and whereabouts of the region, 
You would always have a monthly visit by your chapter consultant, but there might be that middle layer of support as well. Okay. I realize I probably should have asked this first for the, for the one person listening here who has not been to a business networking event. Tell me a little bit about how this is set up, how there's, you know, one person in each category, explain that for someone who doesn't know. Well, for us, and of course, I think our, our process is best, but we have up to 30 people who meet once a week for the sole purpose of giving each other business leads. And the reason the cap of 30 is good is because it's not the number of people you get to know, it's the depth of those relationships you build. So it's probably higher now, but back in the day, every human knows about 250 other people. And so those aren't all your best friends, but I mean, look between your personal and business, maybe holiday card list. And then, so so everybody knows 250 people. So with even with just 20 people in a Leeds Club chapter, you have a potential lead base of 5,000. And then people come and go, and we do guarantee your business exclusivity, which means you are the only dentist, you are the only attorney, you're the only skincare consultant in your group. And in, in our process, it was the existing member who determined if someone else applying would compete or not. And that is really actually quite a competitive advantage because in many other networking groups, business networking groups, it's not left to the member whether they feel competition, it's left to the leadership. And that sometimes goes awry because of course leadership wants numbers because that turns into money in their pocket. Yeah. That was my that leads perfectly into my next question because I did want to talk about the culture of these organizations. And I made no secret of that fact that I, I did another video about how I had a bad experience at a business networking group. And I was really surprised at how toxic the group itself was. And I, I thought about uh, how, and I thought about you, not because it wasn't Leeds Club. I'm just going to tell you it wasn't Leeds Club. But I thought about you and how you had this colossal task of keeping the culture of the organization positive, kind, loving, and respectful when each individual group can kind of decide who they're going to take and who they're not going to take. So tell me how, how that happens, because I can see how very easily, just like in the corporate world, you know, a group could become narcissistic, um, masochistic. That's not the right word. That's not the right word. Sorry about that. <laughs> they could become racist or homophobic when or, individuals or, get to choose. Or unwelcoming. Or know? unwelcoming. Yes. Thank you for that. Yeah, I mean, because I've seen that in other groups where, you know, we, one of our volunteer positions is a greeter. So everyone feels welcome, whether you're a visitor or a member. Um, how do you keep the culture alive? I think what and, and we got a lot of yak about that in the beginning. Oh, it's just a bunch of women sitting around. Them and them. No way. Yeah. You know, actually, Allie was so brilliant when she created her system. I it is actually a timed program format with a timer and it runs along and we respect our members time. And so they arrive on time. We go through our program format, which is timed down to the second. And then we end on time and we respect people's time. 
So I think that's part of it. Also, we read the purpose at the beginning of every meeting and the creed at the end. And so how do you keep a group from being racist, for example? Racist. Or you know, is that even something you can control? I mean, the corporate America can't control it. How can an individual club control it? But I'm just curious if I could that answer was... that in two different ways. Okay. Like we always were open to have specialty groups. Someone came up to me once and said, Lisa, can we do a leads club with Jewish singles? I said, sure, why not? You know, <laughs> who cares? I mean, and in we had quite a number of groups, I believe, that were um LGBT. I mean, I, I like to think that all of our groups were LGBTQ friendly, but maybe they weren't. But then if there was a problem, our office would either jump in or we would offer that person or those people to start a group and select who they want in. So we didn't, you know, knock on wood, but, but, you know, I was a really hands-on leader. I mean, I, I want everybody to be happy, which is not possible, but. <laughs> well, I love that too. The culture of an organization is a top-down situation. And, you know, when, when people genuinely care about the client experience and they want them to be you know, have a good positive experience that shows in the way people are treated when they visit an organization. Yeah. And I that's mean, obviously we couldn't be at every meeting every week, but I think that goes back to our chapter consultants. You know, they visited monthly or every six weeks to motivate, mediate, and educate. That was the purpose of that kind of, if you want to call it a business name, a mid-level manager, right? But it just makes sense. Yeah, that makes sense. People can relate to that. Supported those people with monthly uh, webinars and teleclasses, giving them a topic. And then also we're always available at our office. We were always available during traditional business hours to handle challenges. And I actually appreciated when people would call with a problem because I would much rather have them call and see if, you know, I could dig back into my like gazillion years of experience and try and help them with it. Or, you know, versus having them call and say, this isn't working, we're done. I love that. I love that. Um, okay. I want to look at, because, you you know, you created this culture. Did you get a lot of complaints? I'm assuming you didn't, because it sounds like you kind of set it up differently than some of the other organizations do. But did that happen very often? You know, I would say the biggest challenge we help chapters with were business category conflicts. Ah, uh, that makes sense. Okay. So yeah, I can, I can understand this one. So let's say I'm a hypnotherapist. I'm also an intuitive reader. Um, if there's a psychic in the group already, do they want another hypnotherapist or there's a hypnotherapist and there's a life coach and the life coach already does hypnotherapy too. I can see that, that being an issue. Exactly. And um, we had very clear guidelines. We had a very clear member application that had to be approved by any potentially competing members already in the group. There were actually lines where they signed it. Um, and then it had to be approved by the chapter director and ultimately by our office. So, you know, even though we were pretty big, you know, we still kept a hands-on approach in that way because that's really such a basic tenet of this system working okay is the comfort and confidence that no one's going to compete with you in your business 
Well, I love that. The idea of going into one of these groups and, and tell me if I'm wrong. You seem to recall, I've been to a few of these over the years and I've been to yours, uh, obviously, uh, that it's like the real estate agent and the loan officer, the, the position that's always gone. <laughs> Wait, is, am I right plan. on that? What's, what's the other one? Financial planner. Oh yeah, that's true. I don't think I've ever been in a group that didn't have one, all three of those. <laughs> Yeah, we, we we had our top 10, we had our top 25 and our top 50 most popular business categories. And that was really helpful for new groups wanting to start. Interesting. Okay. So your mom starts this organization. I know you joined it and you guys became partners in it. When your mom passed, I know that when there's a passing of the torch, a lot of times with business owners, they have to like redo some things or make big changes. Did you, what did you have to change? I assume there was something. Yeah, that, <laughs> yeah, that was uh, that was probably uh, what I'm going to share was, I don't know that I would have had the courage to do it now. I was younger and just probably more confident. Who knows? Anyway, um, so I found out and she passed in 99 and I'd done some research as to if it would benefit us to become a franchise type of system versus a corporation that we were. Well, first of all, as soon as she passed away, I incorporated because she didn't she believe- She had been incorporated that. up until 1990? No. Wow, we that's- partners. That's daring. <laughs> I know. So I immediately incorporated us. But I also had to change the way the money flowed because up until that time, we were structured in a way that some people could perceive to be a- franchise type of business. And that's a really big deal. If you do it wrong, you can get fined. So what I did, and this is the, can't believe I did it part. It used to be that our executive directors collected the money, the fees, the dues, or we called them fees, fees yeah. as an advertising fee is basically what they were paying because club dues at a point were no longer tax deductible. So we made sure it was called an advertising fee. God, this is too much information, but, yeah, fine. <laughs> but I actually changed the way the money flows. I took the power of collecting the money away from the executive directors and put it in our office. So instead of them collecting the money and giving us a percentage, we did the opposite. Our office collected all the money and gave them a percentage. And that was a pretty big deal for a snotty little you know, used to be Allie's partner, daughter, nepotism. Now she's making these big changes. Oh, I can see that. Okay. So up until then, forgetting the fact that you were very qualified, you understood this better than anybody else, maybe even your mom in a lot of ways, you were always just Allie's daughter. Am I right? To a lot of people. Yes. <laughs> I can see, I can see that being a problem. I could, I could see, yeah, maybe some lack of respect. Yeah, no, not, we don't need to talk about that, but yeah, I'm sure that that happened. <laughs> All right. Especially people that were older and I was younger. <laughs> I, you know, I understand this one very well. I love it. So you changed the corporate structure. You made it so that there was a little bit more control, but also did you turn it into a franchise? Is that how that happened? Decided not it to. Okay. Look, looked at it a number of times and just didn't want all the regulation that goes along with it. I think some of the other ones, I think some of the other groups are organized as a franchise. For sure. Yes. Some of them are. Interesting. For sure. Interesting. Yep. Okay. So let me ask you this. And 
I hope this is a fair question. <laughs> I'm just curious, kind of your take on this idea that in a world where there's, you know, Google ads or Google reviews, Yelp reviews, the ability for somebody to just get on their phone and check a customer, a business's reputation, if these kinds of groups are still really relevant, tell me what you think on that. Well, you know, if you're in a type of business that does business by referral, you're either super high trust or super um, high cost or very personal, then I think for most people, a personal referral is okay. May not be the case for the 20-somethings, you know, it, it could be generational though as well. So for example, I am not going to choose a psychotherapist by looking on Yelp. I'm not. I'm going to ask my neighbor or my doctor. You know, I, a lot of those, as I already mentioned, either high dollar, high trust type businesses, I really want to do by referral. But you know what? There's a lot of 20, 20 somethings out there that are totally comfortable, you know, with a referral from someone they don't know online. Very, so, very. I think it depends. That makes sense. That makes sense. Now you guys capped it at 30. And I think that was interesting that you mentioned that you guys, I didn't realize that you had capped it at 30 because I had been in, in groups before that were up to 45 and it ends up being confusing. <laughs> what, what made your mom choose 30? Was it just a nice round number or did she have a real? She was so smart. You know, I, I don't know if I still have it. I may have given it to the new owner, but, um, she, we actually had a huge box full of all the research she did as she was creating the program format. And so the bottom line is Leeds Club and now many of these other groups are based on timed, spaced repetition of information. So that's the science behind it. So if you have 50 people in a room and you have three speakers a week, how often are you going to speak versus 30 people in a room. So while it would have been more financially beneficial for me to let the groups grow larger, ultimately it was not as financially beneficial for the members, our clients. Interesting. Okay. I can see that. I mean, I can absolutely see that. For those of you who don't know what happens in these groups is there's like a, I don't know what it was in your group, but I can't remember. To be honest, I can't remember. I want to say it's like 35 or 45 second commercial about your business or telling people what you're looking for this week. And then a lot of times there's a speaker who, who gets eight minutes to tell you what they really do. Right. Right. Does that and sound so right? You want to be that eight minute speaker as many times as you can. And so the way the numbers worked out is with the full group of 30, three speakers a week, and most other groups only have one or two a week. True. We had three. So with 30 people, three speakers a week, you speak five times a year. So that is barely enough to educate and motivate your sales force. I can see that being really big. I mean, somebody like myself, who's a hypnotherapist, right? I have, I work with clients on a million different things, <laughs> you know? So if I could speak five times a year on what I do, I'd be anxiety, weight loss. Yeah, it would just be a lot of fun with that. So I can see how that'd be really beneficial. One little side benefit that I will tell for anyone who has never visited one of these groups is that for me personally, what I found beneficial was that every week I was forced to come up with a 30 second 
commercial for my business. And when you're not used to practicing the answer to the question, what do you do? It ends up coming out as like a five minute monologue. Well, I go to my office and I turn on this, you know, air machine. And then sometimes I do this and sometimes, you know, you've got to be forced sometimes to make it quick, to make it concise and make it interesting. What do you feel like was the greatest benefit that your members received? Well, I want to just talk about that 30 seconds for a minute again, because again, it's all based on the science that Allie created. If you speak for 30 seconds, the average person is going to listen to you for nine or 10 seconds. Unless you're super engaging, they're going to go away mentally. So 30 seconds is more than enough time. And I agree 100% with what you said, because we all need to be able to say, what do you do, you know, in 10 seconds or less. So, um, so your question was, again, a tangent. What, what is the, I was my tangent on this time. This time it was my tangent. Uh, what do you think the benefit was that your members received? Obviously they're getting referrals from, from coworkers, but I know that the benefit, if it's just about the money, it's for me personally, if it's just about the money, it's not enough of a benefit. What else do you think people got from these organizations or get from these organizations? I think one of the things that most of our really professional and successful members enjoyed out of Leeds Club was having those trusted trusted strategic partners to re- be able to refer their clients to. So yes, they love the incoming leads, but it was being able to have a trusted source of people that are either complementary to your business or that all of your clients need at one time or another. Does it, did I say that? No, it's perfect. I, I was just thinking of, I was thinking of, I was in a group. Um, I, I think it was yours or I can't remember because I, I had joined, I'd visited lots of these different groups of the years, but there was one I was in that had a car sales guy and he worked for one of those car groups where he was at the Honda dealership, but he could sell you an Acura, a Mazda, a Toyota. He could sell you pretty much anything that they and and I could tell you every person in our family bought a car from him at some point because first of all he's super nice and I saw him every week but because I saw him every week he couldn't do the ten thousand dollar dealer markup on a car he had to treat all of my family members with a a higher level of respect because he was gonna have to see me every Thursday morning at 7 30 and hear about it if he didn't um I, I can attest that that was something that I really loved about the group yeah, I I think so. And plus, doesn't it just feel so good when you can refer someone else? Maybe I'm a weirdo, but it always gave me, it still does. You know, like I'm in a brand new neighborhood, fairly remote, and I met this guy who does um, pest control. And I have now since like referred him to all of my neighbors because he's a third of the cost. He's a one guy operation, not some big company based out of Portland. And he gives every single one of us in this neighborhood exceptional customer service, and especially me. That's not why I did it. I did it to help my neighbors. But he's especially good to me because I gave him like five or six new clients all on the same two streets. Well, I will say, and and only because I want to present the flip side. And the flip side, you know, when I joined a different group and there was a dentist in the group and they got a little sore at me when I went. I continued to use the dentist that I loved from the other group, even after I joined the new group and and actually got my husband to go to the old dentist too, because they felt like I wasn't being supportive. And every week I had to see them and, and yeah, I got my cleanings at the other guy's office. (laughs) I still like him. (laughs) 
You know what? The, we talked about that in Leeds Club because uh, maybe like your hairdresser. That's oh, hairdresser. Oh my God. Might as well be a counselor. <laughs> How can you change your hairdresser oh. just because you join a networking group? But what members can do is once they get the trust in the new hairdresser or the new um, whatever it is, then they can offer people both referrals. And again, see, this is where I think a lot of people get confused is it's not just the members doing business with each other. That's, that's gravy. The goal is to get to know each other so well that you have that trust where you can refer your sphere of influence out to your fellow members. You know, so maybe in your example, you could, I don't know that I'd go to the dentist necessarily just to get to know them, but like a hairdresser, maybe I'd go if I had a photo shoot and I'd go to the hairdresser just to have them do a wash and a blowout, just so I could see their salon and get to know them good advice that's that's a good advice but, but it's not just using each other that would wear out that you'd use that up pretty true. Quick. there's only 30 people in the group and they like you said they only know 250 people each i like that so i wanted to talk a bit about the other way that i met you because i wanted a score coach and for those of you who don't know and i don't feel like people know what this is actually tell people what a score coach is and then more importantly tell people how much it costs okay so score has been around forever and it used to be called the service core of retired executives hmm, and score is a resource partner of the small business administration the sba and and the marriage kind of happened decades ago when people would go to the sba for a loan but they wouldn't have a business plan and sba doesn't do that so they would send them over to score so score are the two tenants of SCORE is we offer free business mentoring, free, F-R-E-E, -E, capital, and free and low-cost workshops. And so all of our SCORE mentors are volunteers. Now, some people say, well, I've been over to the SBDC, the Small Business Development Center, which is also associated with the SBA, but those people are paid and the SBDC mentors or counselors are paid and we are not. So, you know, who knows? It doesn't, I could talk both sides of that aisle, but, um, but SCORE is awesome. I think we have like 300 SCORE chapters throughout the country. And for example, I was a SCORE mentor for 17 years in San Diego. And when I moved up here to the North Oregon coast, there wasn't a group over here, but Portland adopted me. And so now I mentor remotely here in the little village of Neskowin on the coast. Which isn't and on a map, by the way. <laughs> what's that? It's not even an Oregon state map, by the way, it's so small. Oh, okay. <laughs> anyway, but it's cool because I get to meet, um, I get to meet small business people from all over the Pacific Northwest and help them with their business. What I loved about SCORE, first of all, free, even I can afford that. I mean, not even like a cup of coffee cost, seriously. But what I loved about it is that these were people who are very successful business owners who are volunteering their time. And this is the kind of advice that you would normally have to pay thousands of dollars for. <laughs> Just imagine applying for this free service and getting somebody like Lisa Benson, who is in charge of 
one of the biggest, most successful networking companies in the country or the world, maybe even. And imagine getting that person's advice for free. I mean, how much, how valuable is that? It's so, how satisfying is it for you to be able to give that advice for free? Well, I, you know what? I really enjoy working with my clients, my score clients. I really do. It's fun. They don't always like what I have to say because I'm honest and I have yes, their persistent heart. Yes, you are. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's, it feeds my soul. I love helping people. Plus it forces me to keep current. I'm taking a bunch of workshops on AI right now, you know, so I can be a good little mentor and keep up to date on stuff. <laughs> I love it. So let's also move on then because you have, you've obviously you've, you have, you sold the business. How did that work? Um, I got to a point I'd been doing leads club for 38 years. It was awesome. And I really felt not only was it time for me to retire, but it was also time for me to hand it over to someone else who could take it to the next level. And um, I had a business friend approach me when she learned I was um, considering this and she wanted to buy it. So that was really cool. Awesome. So you've, you've sold Leeds Club. It still exists. Um, there's no chapter around where I live in. I'm in Oregon as well. I'm in Ashland, Oregon. So there's no chapter around here, but it is the rest of the, the country. Yes. And, and still in part of the world or the I, whole world. <laughs> I, I haven't kept up lately, but yes. Um, so tell us about the next phase for you. you you have another business that you've started. I want to know about that because you too could be one of Lisa's clients. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a little bit of a tightrope because as a SCORE mentor, you're not allowed to charge. You can't even let someone buy you a cup of coffee, as you alluded to. I know. Um, <laughs> I tried. <laughs> I know. But um, anyway, so I have a new business because people like Jill said to me, Lisa, you have so much experience running business organizations and subscription models. And, you know, that's the big hoo-ha, you know, when I sold Leeds Club, over 50% of our members were on recurring billing. And that is, that makes a business valuable these days. Yeah. So, um, so anyway, I, even though I sold the business and totally changed my life, I started a business called Coaching for Personal and Professional Prosperity. And I'm, you know, I'm a coach. I took Billy Francis's Guiding Mindful Change coaching course in 2001 to help me in my business. And um, I have to say it's helped me as much, if not more, in my personal life. I try not to be so much of a know-it-all anymore. <laughs> oh, it must be tough. <laughs> it must be it tough is. when you actually do know it all. <laughs> I love that. Not a few I, things. You know, I I'm love a <laughs> expert in one little thing. I hear you. I do. What is it? Um, oh, I'm, I'm going to say this wrong. It's like Jack of all trades, but ace of none or something. Well, right. no, you're the other way. You're the ace of ace of something and maybe not the Jack of all trades. I, you know, I can already hear it. Somebody's yelling at their computer that I've gotten that quote wrong. And I, I, you're right. I did. Okay. I'm just going to say it. <laughs> so I love the idea of you starting this business. And I love the idea that somebody like myself who's stuck could book an appointment and get, you know, honest, like real advice from somebody who's really good at this. Tell me how much, how do you feel about doing that? Is it fun for you? Or I, I always like to hear about people enjoying what they do. Well, 
You know, it's interesting because in my SCORE mentoring, I get to give advice and the clients are brought to me because SCORE has a huge engine and you can get a SCORE mentor anywhere in the country. It doesn't have to be just in your backyard. If you have a specific area of interest and there was no one in your local group, then you can search all the score chapters nationwide. Okay. So that's where I actually give advice as a coach. (laughs) That's a little bit different of a business model. Whereas most of the time I help people bring out the, the brilliance within them. I get you. Okay. It feels like, like what you're describing in, in the coaching business is almost like a holistic approach. And then with the score, it's, ask a question, get an answer, do it. If you don't want to, I'm, you know, I don't have any skin in the game either way. Right. Does that be correct? Yes. So how do you, how do you conduct your business? Well, I have a website, lisabenson.com and there's my favorite question is on the top of my homepage. It's like, if money was no object and success was imminent, what would you do with your wild and crazy life? I didn't make up that saying, But I love that. So if you ask yourself that question and you don't know the answer, I might be able to help you. (laughs) Oh, I love that. I love the idea of it. It's such a playful question too, right? What would you do with your wild? I would would drive faster than I'm supposed to on a road that I probably shouldn't. (laughs) I love that. So any final bits of advice that you've got for somebody? I I asked you a bunch of questions, but I want to make sure I covered everything that you feel like people need to know about business or about networking groups. Oh, oh, one thing I do also want to cover is the cost. I want to cover the cost. You mentioned it briefly and I do want to get to that. What is or around the cost of of joining your networking group or that you know leads club as you recall? So I've been out two and a half years, but when I left it was less than um four hundred dollars for the year. For the year, plus the dues, right? If there's or is there is it plus the dues or no? That was it was uh, let's say under five hundred dollars for the join fee. And then we had a graduated scale where if you paid monthly it was a little bit more, but if you paid annually, there was an excellent discount. And so um Again, that was keeping Allie's passion of keeping it affordable for small business people. So is there also, and some of these groups and yours may not have this, some of these groups that if it's a breakfast meeting, you have to pay for breakfast as well. Are you paying that yourself if you want it? Or is that an additional fee? How does that structure work? That's separate. We, from day one, we kept food out of what we were dealing with because there's a lot of liability and it's a lot of extra work for someone. And, and most of the time, it was not that hard to find restaurants at 7 a.m. in the morning that wouldn't love 20 or 30 people there buying breakfast. So I see. So the person pays for their own breakfast. And if they get yeah. something great, if they don't, that's fine, too. Yep. I love that because most of the other groups that I visited were not that way. There was like a breakfast fee. And it, even if it was just coffee, it was it was a lot. And uh, by the way. I would encourage you to check prices. Last time I checked, I think, I think La Tip was around eight hundred dollars a year, and BNI was like thirteen hundred dollars a year. There's other ones, but those are the two that are on my radar. So just be aware that you know some of these organizations charge quite a bit more than the others, and that's a huge thing. 
for a small business, because you, you may or may not get a lot out of it. If you're a real estate agent, you're probably gonna have a better chance than maybe somebody like a hypnotherapist or a massage therapist actually tend to do pretty well. Would you say? I don't know. I always saw I always saw them doing pretty well. I think they're in the top 10. Yeah. They were for Leeds Club. You know, I I think you asked a minute ago two things I would say to people if they're interested in affiliating with a structured business networking organization. Number one, it takes time and it depends on the type of business you're in and the level of trust your clients need for you. So if I'm selling a consumable product, I could probably get leads and referrals right away. If I'm a financial planner, a therapist, much higher trust need to get to know, then those people might not see leads as quickly. And then you're using the real estate example. So it used to be that we only bought and sold a home every three to five years. I'm not sure what the current stats are, but also, and for most people, purchasing their home is the most expensive thing they ever buy. So by the fact that it's high dollar and not frequent need, the realtors may not get a lead for six, nine months, but that one commission is going to more than pay for dozens of years of Leeds Club. <laughs> oh yeah. I've seen that. I actually, I'm just thinking of one that I saw the guy sold. I, Delmar is a very expensive, for those of you who don't know, Delmar is a very, very expensive place in San Diego County. And even your basic condo that most of you would never consider even buying could cost 1.3 million or more. And I do recall him telling that the commission was just astronomical on this one tiny little sale of, a, of the kind of property that if you saw it, you would never think, oh, that's my dream home. <laughs> you know, until you see the zip code and you're like, oh yeah, that makes a little more sense. <laughs> I think, you know, the last thing I'd like to say, of course, and answer any more of your questions or whatever, but the most successful networkers out there kind of live by the golden rule. It's like, what can I do for you? How can I help you? So what you put out in life, you get back, I believe. And that is, to me, the spirit that one should go into a networking group with, you know, get to really get to know these people and whenever possible, give them leads. And then it's going to happen. It's the law of reciprocity, right? <laughs> You know, I love what you said, because I was thinking about, I'm, I'm going back to my own experience, but I did get to know some of the people in one of our groups really, really well. And I literally needed to, uh, for those of you who don't know, who don't have a Volkswagen, there is like a ridiculous 40,000 mile service on this car that costs two grand, two grand. Yeah, I know. And I'm, by the way, did you just see her reaction? I'm shocking a woman who has a Tesla, by the way. So <laughs> I actually liked our mechanic so much that we drove the car back to San Diego, which is a 10 hour, 12 hour drive, depending on which one of us is driving <laughs> because we had to go there anyway. So we're like, we'll take the Volkswagen and let the guy that we know and trust do that expensive repair on the car. And, and I will say that it, this was a relationship that I had formed in one of my networking groups because I trusted them that much because I'd gotten to know him every week. And I'd had plenty of times where this, this guy had said, you know, I know, I know what you want fixed on the car, but it's not worth fixing it. You know, I love that. And so this is why we spent way more money than we should have driving a car back to San Diego to get it repaired. We may have done a few things in San Diego while we were there. Just saying. So that thank you. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Lisa. Is there, is there any final advice? I know I jumped in there in the middle of your, 
saying, did we cover nope. it all? You feel complete? Thank so you. how can somebody find you? I love you. You say your name and, it, and your name of your business and your uh, website will be in the link in the description, but tell them again in case they've got a pen handy and they want to write it down. It's uh, my website is lisabenson.com, L-I-S-A traditional spelling B-E-N-T-S-O-N. Love it. Even I could spell that. I love that. So thank you so much for participating, Lisa. You're awesome. And thanks everybody for watching and listening. And I hope you got something out of it. The whole goal of this show for me is to help you guys get some ideas because I firmly believe that this is the age of the entrepreneur. And I firmly believe that the economic crisis that I think is coming, I hate to say it, I'm not an economist, so don't listen to that from me. But I love the idea of having a business. I feel like we all need more streams of revenue, even if it's just a side hustle. So more importantly than just having a business, I want you to get out there and have fun doing it. And I'm so glad, Lisa, you told us how to do that. So thank you. Bye, everybody. See you next time.